0: Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim Chapter 14 Something was tugging at his wrist, causing his entire arm to feel like it was about to pop out of its socket, like a Lego brick. A loud, shrill bell rang nearby. Neither were comfortable experiences, and as far as Trent O'Shea was concerned, both should stop immediately. Whatever his arm was attached to prevented movement. A fact Trent discovered as he tried to roll over onto his side. The throbbing pain in his head brought back memories of being smacked over the head. Each pulse of cranial pain left very little cognitive room to try and figure out what his arm was hooked onto. Slowly, Trent opened his eyes. Just in time to see the sole of a foot head towards his face. Trent yelped shimmying back along the floor and away from the foot as best he could. The foot touched his chest, pressing firmly against it. Ah, Finally, I was trying to get some leverage to help free myself from these infernal things. Trent pushed himself up with his free arm and saw the lawyer, Mr. Ear. At least that was what he had implied he was. After Trent had shown Mr. Ear through the guard station and led him down to the cells, it became very apparent that the man was not, in fact, a lawyer. He was somehow connected with Brez, having mentioned the magical man by name and this crazy situation that Trent now found himself wrapped up in. Worse still, Mr Ear had made a not-so-subtle death threat against Trent if the guard had failed to help him complete his task. The not-so-subtle aspect of the threat involved being shown the very knife that would be inserted into the side of Trent's neck. So, despite everything, Trent had brought Mr. Ear to the holding cells. Deep down he knew that this would result in Filthy Henry being killed, but Trent had done some quick mental calculations. One dead fairy detective made more mathematical sense than one dead member of the O'Shea family. Mr. Ear currently sat on the ground with his right arm handcuffed to Trent's left wrist. He had lost his wig. Then Trent noticed the smoke that had filled the hallway. He looked down into the cells and saw the flaming notice board which had fallen onto the floor and set the carpet ablaze. We need to get out of here, he said panicked. What the hell happened? Why are you cuffed to me? Mr. Ear rolled his eyes and gripped Trent's wrist like a vice. I couldn't find the key, the lawyer said. The target must have tossed it or took it with him or something. Doesn't matter. What does matter is you need to get us out of here without it looking like I'm a prisoner. So get moving. You're going to help me fix this mess. Unless you want me to go and find something to cut your hand off with. Without warning, the Laura stood up and dragged Trent upwards with him, nearly tearing skin from where the handcuff dug in. Trent looked around and saw nobody else in the area. Come on, he said. We can go out the back, where the motorbikes are. It should be easier to slip out that way. Filthy Henry was munching on his fifth slice of apple tart from a second tart when Bunty Dooley and Shelley entered. You did not need magical powers of some otherworldly origin to sense that something was up between the pair of them. It was not just the fact they kept giving each other dagger looks. You could practically see the icicles on their shoulders, feel the tension in the air between them. Well, this can't be good, Filthy Henry said to himself as he reached for the bottle of milk. Ladies! How are we doing? Shelley nearly stopped dead in her tracks, shooting an accusatory look at Bunty Dooley. You told me he was at death's door, she said to the sea. I was expecting him to be floating in the middle of the room, like I was, but he's fine. Floating? the fairy detective asked. I never mentioned death's door, Bunty replied. I told you he'd done something stupid and I had to transfuse some magic into him to stop his body from killing itself. You took from that what you wanted. But uh, back to the floating thing, Filthy Henry said, as he poured another glass of milk. Ask her, Shelley said, indicating the sea with a thumb jab. The fairy detective took a sip from his milk and watched as Shelley stomped across the floor and dropped down onto a chair at his table. For her to be up and about, not to mention annoyed, was a clear indication that Bunty Dooley had performed some amazing healing. A knife wound to the stomach had a way of preventing people from throwing strops, let alone ones of this level. Feeling better, I take it, Filthy Henry said. Shelley reached across the table and took a slice of tart from one of the few remaining trays that was still full. Usually a person who stole food from Filthy Henry, particularly during a magical energy recharge binge, was given a solid slap across the face to help them see the error of their ways. Given how Bunty and Shelley were acting at the moment, he thought better of it. Should we not be in hiding? Shelly asked. You were attacked in a guard station, for God's sake, yet here you sit eating apple tart. Filthy Henry gestured with the crust of his currant slice at the room they now sat in. It was one of the many back rooms in Bunty Dooley's bar, one that very few people ever got to see. Adorning its walls were runes and sigils that pulsed with power when looked at using fairy vision. Extremely powerful and complicated spells that very few races in the world understood, let alone could cast correctly. Those prevent anybody seeing what happens in these rooms, he explained. Nothing can even teleport in. The sigils are that powerful. Right now, Rez himself could probably show up and not be able to cast so much as a flaming snot. Shelley looked over at Bunty. Why would you need rooms like this in the back of a pub? You up to no good? Bunty smiled. "'Well, how else would you play poker with magical beings? "'Besides, you know this bar's an entirely neutral venue. Rooms like this come in handy "'when two sides want to have a conversation "'that doesn't end in an explosion.' "'Shelly rolled her eyes and started to eat the slice of tart. "'Now that you're both back on your feet "'and not dripping blood all over my floor, "'which I'll have to clean up, by the way, "'would you care to explain to me what exactly is going on?' Filthy Henry wolfed down the remainder of his slice, "'gulped the milk. And wiped his mouth on the back of his hand. That's well, this case we're working on. The one that Dagda gave us. I think we have it nearly cracked and I reckon the folks that are behind it know how close we are as well. So they had a crooked recruit Garda and some bald knife man, who I bloody well know I've seen somewhere before today, tried to stitch me up, literally in the latter case. Figuratively, Shelley said, since he only stabbed you but was hardly going to sew the wound closed after inflicting it. Wouldn't be much use as a hired killer, would he? It was an innate ability some people had, to be police for grammar and spelling when the situation had no need of such a person. Filthy Henry smiled at Shelley. Ah, figuratively then, he said, giving her a mock bow. The case was going nowhere fairly fast, before we went to speak with Ballower and Brez. The fairy world was a mixed and varied place, with races and creatures in it that most humans could only dream up after a night of alcohol and drug cocktails. Add in elements such as magic and you had the recipe for a crazy cake. One thing that Filthy Henry knew about fairies when it came to religion was that they respected their gods a lot more than humans respected all-powerful deities. They may not have actually been devoted worshippers, but it was hard to claim atheism when the entity you were denying was slapping you in the face with a bolt of lightning. But the fairy detective, while not having much time or respect personally for Dagda and his lot, knew they were not the sort of gods that you feared. They were benevolent and caring, and if the old Irish legends were to be believed, nurturing. So when he saw Bunty Dooley gasp and make a warning sign before her, Filthy Henry guessed that he had touched on a taboo subject. Was it something I said? Bunty Dooley crossed her arms and rubbed her hands up and down her body, as if she had just gotten very cold. We don't speak of the Dark Ones above ground, she said. In fact, not every fairy even knows they still exist. It isn't a tale we pass to our children in the hope that they will eventually be stories that fade from memory. As Filthy Henry leaned back on his chair, it creaked slightly beneath him. Meaning that eventually nobody will be around who believes in them, and they'll become completely powerless, trapped beneath the earth. No worshippers, no real magic, the one thing gods don't want to happen. No worshippers equals no power. Shelley looked from the sea to Filthy Henry and back again. Am I missing something here? She asked. Filthy Henry stared thoughtfully into empty air as he mulled an idea over in his head. He could feel his eyes open wide as a few mental ducks all lined up in a row. Thed ear, he said aloud. The deer! Dagda above! How did I don't know not spot that sooner? Shelley looked over at Bunty Dooley, who simply shook her head from side to side. Care to explain? she asked. Miek. He had a note in his hand when he died, remember? We found it on the body. It just had two words written on it. The deer. It wasn't nonsense. He was telling us who the killer was. That guy back in the station used a really poor fake name. He was the deer. It was him who killed Mir. But he was mortal, Shelley said. So far everything is pointing at Dean Kecht, Even the only witness we have to the entire thing. True. But now I know why he looks so familiar. He was outside the office when Trent showed up but bald as the baby's backside. He must be working with Brez in some way but there's something else about his face that I can't put my finger on. Outside the Garda station the street was nearly devoid of people as Trent had correctly assumed since they would have made their way out the front door to safety. But there was the typical human herd with nothing better to do than stand around and up at a building with an alarm going off. Nothing more than eager beavers hoping for a dramatic explosion or some sort of mad dash escape attempt by an opportunistic prisoner. All so they could be the first to blast this information out to the world. This way, the lawyer said, tugging Trent so they were walking side by side. They weaved through the crowd of onlookers, Mr. Ear not so gently shoving people out of his way, and headed towards a car, top of the line black Mercedes, parked beside a bus stop. Trent noticed the car had its hazard lights blinking on and off, something of a tradition in Ireland when people parked in places they legally should not. The sorry lights, as some drivers referred to them, were meant to apologise to whoever you were causing an inconvenience to by parking inappropriately. They in no way made the illegal parking any more legal, but the driver seemingly had a clear conscience after putting the lights on and walking away from their vehicle. Mr. Ear pulled a key out from his pocket, unlocked the passenger side door and opened it, then popped the glove box open and reached inside. After a few seconds searching, he took out a small key, which was promptly inserted into the handcuff bracelet around his own wrist. With a little twist, the cuff clicked open. Brilliant, Trent said, holding out his wrist expectantly. Mr. Ear frowned at the offered wrist, then shook his head and tossed the key at Trent's chest. He caught it as it bounced off his shirt, unlocked the cuff and pocketed everything into a pouch on his belt. Put the key back when you get in, Mr Ear said, walking around the front of the car and getting in on the driver's side. Trent's mother had always told him not to get into cars with strangers. Or worse still, people who you knew were strange. But all the advice of Mammy O'Shea was being thrown straight out the window at that moment. Mainly because Mr Ear seemed like the kind of person that asked once before just stabbing you on further requests until compliance occurred. Uh, sure, the guard had said, climbing into the passenger seat and returning the key to its glove box home. Just out of curiosity, why am I coming along? Mr Ear started the engine and pulled out onto the road without any indication to any fellow road users around. Their safety, it seemed, was their concern and not his. I need to put a bomb in that detective's home. "'The lawyer said. "'The boss wants this guy out of action "'in a much more permanent way "'than you seem inclined to do. "'Our mutual friend in the mirror "'told me to make sure you helped me get the job done. "'So let's not go wasting time with stupid questions, OK? "'Unless you really want to be inserted into the ground "'to live out the rest of your natural-born days. "'Now reach back and take up that light behind you.' "'Trent did as he was told.' and picked up what he sometimes called a blueberry, one of the flashing blue lights that undercover Garda cars tended to have on their roof during a chase. He looked over at the lower, the back of the blueberry. You're not meant to have this, unless you're a Garda, he said. The car swerved between a lorry and a bus, then turned down the wrong way of a one-way street. Well, it's a good thing I'm on official Garda business, complete with a Garda in the car with me. Now turn her on and stick it on the roof or this illegal driving may catch the attention of people I'll have to kill later. You wouldn't want that, would you? Trent pressed the button on the car door that automatically brought down his window. He reached outside with the blueberry and attached it to the roof with the magnetic base under the bulb. So far, being a Garda had been nothing like Trent had envisioned. He was starting to miss that boring first day of doing paperwork. Bunty Dooley, being Bunty Dooley, had magically sealed the bar in order to prevent Filthy Henry from leaving. She claimed it was based on her many years of wisdom and knowledge at just how much healing was required to get the fairy detective back on his feet. There were also claims made about his mental state and bullish personality to just get right back into it without resting properly and letting his body recover. Such claims, as always, were being summarily dismissed out of hand by Filthy Henry, which was why the bar had been magically sealed. Only after two hours of sitting around and torturing the sea by asking the most inane and ridiculous questions about magic did Bunty Dooley finally relent and let them leave the building. Mainly so she would in her own words avoid killing the pair of you. Shelley had waved in the most sarcastic manner the fairy detective had ever seen somebody wave before and strolled out the door onto Pierce Street. Just be careful Bunty Dooley had said to Filthy Henry as he followed Shelley. When am I not careful? he said. "'Well, generally, whenever you're awake,' came the reply. Filthy Henry smiled at the sea and closed the door behind him. "'So, you two, Shelley said. "'Us 2 "'Don't play dumb with me. "'Most of the time you can't resist playing cocky smarty-pants. "'You two. "'Something's going or went on there.' The fairy detective stared at Shelley for a moment and turned and started walking down the street towards the Trinity College side gates. Where to then? Shelley asked, apparently taking the unspoken suggestion of dropping her previous line of inquiry. Oh, back to the office, Filthy Henry said. I need to get a clean shirt. This one's covered in blood and reeks of smoke. Well, why don't we just use the coin? Shelley said. Also, are you going to share this fantastic theory you're currently working on? Filthy Henry shook his head as they crossed the street and started down to Lear Street. We're walking because the walk will let me think on the way, as long as you stop nattering. As for sharing the theory, not just yet. I'm still missing the motive for all of this. So whist your noise for a bit, will you? They walked on, in an uncharacteristic silence for Shelley, allowing Filthy Henry time to think. His current theory on why Meek had been killed needed a little verification from the other gods as to what would happen to Dian Kecht should he be found guilty. One thing Filthy Henry had learned over the years when dealing with beings from the fairy world was that regardless of race, you had to be very careful with how they phrased things. What seemed totally logical when you heard it could easily turn out to be some sort of verbal contract you agreed to without knowing. Dagda had said that Dien Kecht would be removed from existence if they couldn't prove his innocence by the end of the week. But what did that mean exactly? Most people that died were essentially removed from existence but for some reason when that sentence was used to describe what would happen to a god it needed clarification. Clarification that if Filthy Henry was right would easily explain why the younger of the two healing gods had been killed giving motive a plenty. As they made their way down Middle Abbey Street a Lewis passed by beeping its horn to alert the morons strolling across the tracks ahead that death was approaching at a slow but steady pace. Shelley climbed up the steps of the building, pulled out her key, and unlocked the door. It clicked four times, which was three clicks more than Filthy Henry had ever heard his front door lock make. Instinctively, he reached up and placed his hand on Shelley's shoulder, conjuring the protective spell around him so that it spread out from Shelley in all directions by half an inch. Suddenly, the door exploded in a cloud of flames, smoke, and wood that erupted out of the entrance and enveloped the pair of them. Shockwaves knocked them both off their feet. Filthy Henry could see nothing as the fire poured over them, barely kept back by his magical shield. Everything around them was obscured from sight. Further explosions sounded, coming from above. Something landed with a heavy thud on the bubble shield, followed by a little pitter-patter, as if rain was hitting a tin roof. What's happening? Shelley asked, as she cowered against his body. Filthy Henry did not answer. Most of his concentration was going into keeping the shield in place. A feat that was not exactly easy, given the power of the flames. This was no simple explosion, as a result of a dodgy gas line. This had been caused deliberately. He knew the spell would not hold much longer. Worse, Filthy Henry had not expected to have to use magic so soon after getting healed. But thankfully, the fairy detective had a way out. With his left hand, Filthy Henry reached into his coat pocket, pulled out Dagda's coin and teleported them away to safety. Right as the flames engulfed the doorstep. Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle.